This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Tears 
Thank you, Rob. Christmas is a celebration of the reward at the end of a long wait. God's people were longing and expecting His chosen Messiah, His Son, for centuries. And finally, in Bethlehem, He came. For 400 years since the last prophet wrote his message from God at the end of the Old Testament, there was silence. And then finally, God spoke His living Word. Jesus. His living Word. Mary's literal, physical expectation was rewarded with the birth of her son in the manger. The wait was over. He was here. But now... On the cusp of the year 2020, we're in another waiting stage. We're waiting again. He came the first time. He's coming again. And while we wait, He's here with us, but we wait. I hate waiting. That was only 20 seconds, and that was excruciating. (laughs) I hate waiting. I hate waiting. If we ever have an event around here where we're serving food in in the Family Life Center, um, you will almost never see me waiting in line. I I go around, just socialize with people. I volunteer to help in the kitchen, just, I don't know, take care of other things. Then I wait, and when the line's all gone, then I finally go through. Um, Because I hate waiting. I, I can't stand it. And... That means that I almost never get two of my favorite church potluck items, which are deviled eggs and those tortilla pinwheels. Um, because and deviled eggs are awesome. You know, some of you know this, and some of you people really do it right. But by the time 30 or 40 people go through the line, the deviled eggs are history. They're gone. 86 history. And pinwheels, some you guys know what I'm talking about. They're like tortilla rolls, and then you slice them so they make a little medallion, and usually you dip them in salsa, and they got cream cheese in the middle and whatever else. And they're awesome. They're wonderful. But by the time I wait until the line's done, they're almost always gone too. Uh, last month, down in the Teresa Hoover, long story how, but they found out that I really liked those, and I almost always miss out on them. So they made me a whole plate of those pinwheels just for myself and get, gave me some homemade salsa to go with it. It was awesome. There's a verse in the Bible that I can't find. I'm looking for it. I can't find it, but it's somewhere in there. It says something like, He that maketh pinwheels for the youth pastor who lacketh patience, he shall surely receive many and abundantly more pinwheels and salsa besides in the kingdom of heaven. I can't find that Bible verse, but I'll keep looking and I'll let Alan know when I find it. But um, I think it's in there. But I, I hate waiting for other things too. I really need a new pair of shoes. I. I have these everyday shoes that I wear, summer, winter, no matter what I'm doing every day, I wear... Oh. (laughs) That's Josh Kelly, who will no longer get any Christmas presents from me back there on the cameras. But uh, I I wear these shoes every day, and they're they're worn out. They're separating at the toe on this one, and I've got these new shoes that I'm buying. I know which ones I'm getting. I've done the research. I know which ones I want. But they're back-ordered from the manufacturer for at least two weeks because everybody bought them for Christmas, things like that. And, uh, I, but 
I hate waiting so bad that I almost bought an, a pair of inferior shoes that cost more that I don't even like as well just because I hate waiting. And I would have just blown my money because as soon as the good ones came in stock, I would have ordered them too, and then I'd had this other pair of shoes that I didn't need. Some of you are like, shoes that you don't need? I, you have, you know, 30 pairs of shoes. I have this pair right here, got a pair that I wear in the snow, I got some flip-flops for the summer, and then some black dress shoes. That's it. Um, and that's probably too many, really. But, uh, I, you know, it, you don't need that many shoes. And some of you are just looking at me like you want to kill me. And that's not just ladies, that's the stereotype. But some of you dudes I know are sneakerheads or something like that. Or you got like 40 pairs of boots that, oh, I, I forgot my hiking boots. I do have those. I'm, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so I, I almost bought an inferior pair of shoes just because I hate waiting. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I, I actually put that other pair of shoes in my shopping cart and I went to the checkout and I was almost to buy them and I just, okay, I just... And a few years ago, I would have gone ahead and probably done, done that because I'm a sucker for instant gratification. Um, you know the Old Testament story about Jacob and Esau, right? Two brothers. And Jacob knew that his brother Esau was like me. He was a sucker for instant gratification. So he uses that knowledge in the story to cheat Esau out of his inheritance as the older brother. And people always tell that story, and they rightly criticize Esau for being such an idiot. He traded his inheritance for a bowl of stew. But I probably would have been the same kind of sucker, um, because I hate waiting. And man, when I was younger, I really hated waiting for God's plan for my life. I wanted everything to happen right now. I hated being in a holding pattern, feeling like I was stuck, like... I can't get out of this, and you can fill in the blank for, for whoever and whenever. I can't get out of this town, this school, this job, this whatever it is. I'm stuck in a holding pattern. I can't get out of this, whatever it is. I hate waiting. I wanted God's plan to happen right now. I wanted Him to tell me His whole plan for my life from start to finish, all the way from here till I stepped into heaven. And... Some of you, whether you're young or old, wherever you are in your stage of life, some of you are like that. You struggle having patience. <clears throat> you get tired of waiting, and you hate the feeling of being stuck in a holding pattern. I may cough up a lung before we're done. It'll be fine. But in the waiting, I, I believe, I've come to believe that waiting is a sacred gift. The sacred wait is something that we are invited into by Jesus over and over again in our lives. And God's people have been invited into this sacred wait for millennia. And for millennia, the enemy of our souls, the devil, shouts at us that we can't wait. One of the devil's most common lies is that it's going to be too late if we wait any longer. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent tells Eve and Adam with her that if they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they'll be like God. Now, a few centuries later in John, 1 John chapter 3, John tells us, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So often in the future, we will be like Jesus, and I think it's not too big of a stretch to say that the earliest temptation of humankind was to skip the wait. 
to be like God, to know what God knows right here and now, take this shortcut, eat this fruit, you'll be like God. When Jesus was starting His earthly ministry here, He went out in the desert and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Satan came and tempted Him when He was hungry and thirsty and exhausted. When you're hungry and thirsty and exhausted, that's the hardest time to wait. This week on Christmas Day, in the middle of the morning, Laura, our seven-year-old, was playing outside at my parents' house in Kansas City with some of her cousins. And she slipped and fell on the concrete on their back porch, and her chin hit the concrete, and it um, busted it up pretty good. And we decided that this wound was beyond what we should just try to care for ourselves, so we took her to the emergency room at Children's Mercy Hospital. And by the way, if you ever have to go to the emergency room, I highly recommend Children's Mercy Hospital emergency room in Kansas City. Just pretend you're a kid and go. Um, just lie about your age, and they'll you know have them take care of you. Just kidding, I'm not, you guys know I'm kidding, right? pastor told me to lie, no. Okay, but they have all sorts of fun, non-scary things that make kids feel safe, and it's a wonderful place. Uh, Laura ended up getting stitches in her chin, and while the doctor was putting the stitches in, there was this wonderful lady whose entire job was to just stay close to Laura, talk to her, hold her hand, help her to take deep breaths and hold still and all that. Um, and she took time. She learned before the doctor even came in to start. She was there with her, learning all about her family, her brothers, um, her favorite books, and and uh, her favorite desserts. And, and she just learned all about this. She knew by the time the doctor got there, this lady knew uh, all the names of our family and lots of stuff about Laura. And she was just having Laura tell her stories about some of her life experiences and things like that. And our daughter, our daughter is is. By nature, not what you would call a bold person. Jack's going to be our, our five-year-old. He's going to be the one that will just run onto the roller coaster and take off. And, and uh, Laura's, Laura's finding her courage. She's doing a lot better than she used to, but new things and unexpected things are just full of fear for her. And the way that uh, this lady just stayed there with her and just kind of held her hand and was right by her head and whispering in her ear that it was going to be okay, take another deep breath, um, it was wonderful. Children's Mercy is awesome. But we were there from about 11.30 in the morning to about 3.30 in the afternoon on Christmas Day um, through the, the lunchtime slot and into the afternoon. And by the time we were heading back to my parents' house, we were seriously hungry. We'd been looking forward to this big, wonderful Christmas dinner at, at lunch, and then we'd had to press pause on that anticipation. So when we left the hospital, we needed gas. We stopped at Quick Trip. And Cindy was eyeing those uh, quick trip jalapeno cheddar hot dogs. And now, some of you who have not experienced quick trip lately, um, you're thinking of just a gas station generic hot dog. Well, okay, if you take like generic gas station hot dog here and like a steak from the gobbler's roost up here, the quick trip jalapeno cheddar dog is like at least a third of the way up. Okay, it, it's another level of gas station gastronomy. Okay, it's a. It's, uh, it, it's really good. Um, and, but we were looking at those hot dogs, and, and Cindy was asking me, you know, are we sure there's going to be food ready when we get back? Because, like, they all ate, so are they not going to want to eat again until, like, 6.30 or so? And are we sure? Is there going to be enough food? Should we just go ahead and get a hot dog real quick? And th- this made me so happy, because for the first time in our marriage, when it came to a question of being patient, 
or being impulsive, I, Jim Pertle, was the patient one. I was, <laughs> I, I was, I was mature. I, I said, Cindy, when we get back to the house, there will be plenty of food. You don't have to worry about it. But then we got in the car. We were getting ready to, we were getting ready to pull out of the parking lot. I almost caved in. I almost sent her in. I was like, Cindy, go get us two each and a milkshake and a dozen donuts and let's chow down right now. Well, we got back to my parents' house. And, uh, you know, it, by the time we got there, I was like hangry, um, like angry hungry. And, but I walked in the door and my sisters and my mom and my Aunt Arlene was there too. And they had three places set on the table for Laura, Cindy, and me. And they had all the dishes from that dinner that they just had laid out right in front of us, ready to eat. They asked us what we wanted to drink. They helped Laura get her roll buttered and honeyed and they asked us what they could pass us. I said, pass me everything at once. Um, I had, man, I had ham, mashed potatoes and gravy, green bean casserole, blueberry jello salad, big soft crescent rolls, onion casserole, sweet potatoes with cinnamon crumble topping. I skipped the worthless salad because it was Christmas and I don't believe in disrespecting Christmas with salad. <laughs> and I plowed into desserts. Apple dumplings, chocolate chip cookies, dark chocolate mint fudge. And I'm telling you guys, I'm having trouble not keeping the tears out of my eyes right now just thinking about it. It was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. But when we're hungry and thirsty and exhausted and we were, you know, emotionally spent from watching our little girl be terrified and hurt, but it was harder to wait. This morning, some of you are exhausted You're hungry and thirsty, maybe literally, if that's true. We're going to get out in time for lunch, I promise. But you're hungry and thirsty, just the rest of you is hungry and thirsty. You're tired, you're worn out. Maybe even you're always tired and you can't seem to rest. You can't seem to get caught up on everything you have to do. How many times have we heard that, right? I can't seem to get caught up on everything i got to do. Can't find rest. And it's in that state of being that the enemy of your soul starts yelling at you that you can't wait. You can't slow down. You can't listen to God. God's timing is taking too long. You have to take control and make things happen on your own. When Jesus was tired and hungry and thirsty, the devil hit Him with the temptations in the desert. And the devil's temptations to Jesus were all centered around taking shortcuts. He offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world if he would bow down and worship him. Worship Satan. And Jesus was King of kings and Lord of lords. He already owned all the kingdoms of this world. But he was hungry and thirsty and exhausted. And the long, hard process that lay ahead of Jesus, of the ministry on earth, and then his betrayal, his trial, his death, all of that hard plan that lay ahead of him, he could shortcut all of that if he would listen to the voice of the enemy. And so many of our temptations are temptations to a shortcut, to skip the weight. Our addictions, almost every addiction is a shortcut. The appeal of an addiction is the shortcut that it offers. A chemical addiction is a shortcut to feeling whole and feeling a sense of well-being. A sexual addiction is a shortcut 
for the hard work of real relationships. Any addiction that you'd care to name, a work addiction. So we skip the weight. We skip the sacred weight of sexual purity and of selfless love and of investing in real romance with a spouse. We instead take the shortcut of self-gratification and addictions to pornography. And I'm expanding the definition of pornography um, to whether it's written words that cause fantasies, whether it's something on a screen or printed. Or we take the further step of indulging in sexual impurity, whether it's before marriage, outside marriage, unfaithfulness to a spouse. The appeal of sexual temptation is that it's a shortcut. It skips, it skips the long process, the hard work, the wait. And I want to call you, and I'm looking at a church today where I say, why am I including this right here in my message today? I'm not looking at any of you and thinking, oh man, there's a pervert. I'm not. But for some reason, when I was preparing this message, I kept coming back to this, and I believe the Holy Spirit of God laid it on my heart today to say, if you have an addiction to pornography, again, whether it's written or on a screen, if you have an addiction to a sexual fantasy life, if you have a temptation to go outside the sacred hard work of marriage, to find sexual fulfillment, whether it's a real affair, um, extramarital sex, or whether it's an emotional affair where you are blending this with a fantasy world. Sexual temptation becomes sexual addiction and it's all about shortcutting the weight. It's all about shortcutting the long process, the hard work that real love takes. Sometimes we skip the sacred weight of daily obedience to what we do understand of what God wants us to do with our lives. We instead take the shortcut of pursuing the quickest path to self-indulgence or self-promotion. We make the excuse that God isn't showing us His whole plan for the rest of our lives start to finish, so we ignore His guidance and just say, alright, self-indulgence or self-promotion, I'm going for whatever I can get of those two things. And we skip the sacred weight for God's heaven and for seeking first the kingdom of God. And we instead seek our own kingdom here on earth and our own customizable, controllable heaven right here. We skip the sacred weight of the discipline of silence in His presence. We instead take the shortcut of working ourselves to the edge of burnout and then indulging ourselves because, quote, we deserve it. And this cycle of striving and then indulging, nowhere in that is any space for God to speak to our souls. Nowhere in that is a wait for Him. And so, the shortcut of overworking ourselves becomes an addiction to hard work because it makes us feel like when we can crank up the noise and crank up the action, it allows us to ignore the deep need of our souls for weight and silence and rest and trust in God because we trust in the bottom line or in our own accomplishments, in our own productivity, 
And nowhere in that cycle of striving until we can't do it anymore, we're burnt out, and then indulging ourselves in something unhealthy usually. Nowhere in that cycle is the weight, the patience, the trust in God. When we take any of these shortcuts, we are skipping the sacred weight of the difficult things of this present temporal life. And because eternity seems so far off, we miss the profound beauty of the light of eternity that's coming through the cracks of this tired old world right now. And eternity is right here among us already. And yes, there's a not yet part of it, but there's an already part. The sacred weight is where the light of eternity comes through into everyday life now. I keep saying the sacred weight, and some of you are thinking it, so I'm just going to say it. I'm not talking about Gabe, and I'm definitely not talking about Erica, because some of you knew her when she grew up in this church, and calling her the sacred weight is... Oh, hey, Erica. I didn't see you there. Uh, We're just talking about you. The sacred weight. When we wait for God to move. When we wait for Him to lead us. We're going to look at two main passages of Scripture. Romans 8 is the first one. You can just get that ready in your app or your Bible. And then after that, we're going a couple of books later than that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, We'll be kind of skipping around through those. But Romans 8, first of all, starting at verse 16. Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Remember, we're talking about what's already versus what's not yet. That eternity is leaking through the cracks of this world into right now. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You know, the Spirit of God's praying for you. Um, Rob sang that song, Tears are a language God understands. He, our wordless groans become prayers when the Spirit takes them and makes them come before the throne of God. Did you know that all creation is going to be made new? All creation. Read verse uh, 21 again. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
will be restored and whole and clean and will live eternally. And all creation also is going to be restored and whole and clean for eternity as well. And yes, for now, we wait. And eternity sometimes seems a long way off. But even in the waiting, even in the not yet, we said there's an already. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 next. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. How many of you have been dissatisfied with your own appearance, your own abilities, your own capability? This treasure is in jars of clay. Humble looking, flawed, often cracked. Um, somebody said we're a bunch of crackpots from this verse, right? We're, we carry this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Uh, verse 16 now. Uh, skip down there. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being re- renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. These jars of clay are wasting away, but we're being made new day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are here, but the glory of eternity is startlingly near. Now start the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, now we're switching metaphors from clay jars to tents. Everybody following? The earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. Remember, eternity is leaking through the cracks of this tired old world. The Spirit of God is right here with us already right now, even though there's a not yet. There's an already right now that He's with us. Verse 6, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. Remember in the previous, uh, in the Romans chapter, it says, who hopes for what they already have? We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, while we're waiting here, verse 9, we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body or while we wait, whether good or bad. Uh, Skip to verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. It's already here, in a sense. It's here. The old is gone, the new is here. Verse 18, all of this is from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, while we wait, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see the profound beauty of Jesus' plan in the middle of our sacred wait? If we are in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. In the middle of our waiting, eternity is already here. This changes everything about how we live our lives. We make it our goal to please Him, that verse said, because whether we, we are going to be judged. We're going to receive the reward for the things we've done here in the wait on earth, whether good or bad. Christ's love compels us so that in the waiting, we embrace the purpose He's given us for our lives. We're not perfect. We're these clay jars trying to contain an impossibly powerful light. We're flawed human beings trying to let the love of Jesus speak through us to a hurting and dying world around us. But in the waiting, He is here. He's close. He speaks to us even on days when the darkness seems impenetrable. And His voice whispers, Courage! Courage, dear heart! His presence comes especially close and His peace surpasses our ability to understand it in the most difficult times. So you can take two sides of this. You can take the side of impatience, of grabbing control yourself, forcing the issue. You can take the side of waiting. Impatience says, man, these people around here don't appreciate my talents. I'm not appreciated. I'm not making any difference here. I'm going to go where I am appreciated and where people recognize what I'm going to do. Impatience says that, whereas patience says, you know, God... I am not seeing a lot of fruit. I'm not seeing that I'm making much difference. But you called me here. And so I'm going to serve as best I can and trust you for the results. Impatience says, I'm tired of waiting for God to provide for my needs. I'm taking the quickest route to money and success that I can find, even if it means sacrificing my integrity. And waiting says, God, I can't see how You're going to provide, but I know You will. Help me to hear You when You do lead me. But for now, I'm going to work as hard as I can and serve while I'm in the waiting. Am I advocating laziness? Absolutely not. God calls us to work. Right? God calls us to work and sometimes... Serving Jesus is a life that is actually harder. In fact, it's almost always harder, but it's better, right? But He does call us to work. I'm not saying sit around and wait and be lazy. But impatience says, you know, I'm, waiting, I'm tired of waiting for God to provide. I'm going to take as many shortcuts as I can find. I'm going to get what I need. Impatience says, I'm so tired of being alone. I need somebody to confide in, somebody who will love me. I'm going to go for this relationship even though some part of me knows that God is warning me away from it. Whereas waiting says, God, I am lonely. I'm not sure you're ever going to lead me to the kind of relationship that I want so badly. 
But I know You're with me. And I trust You. And I want You more than I want anything. So I am waiting for You. Can I call you today on behalf of Jesus to the sacred wait? May I ask you to let go of the controls if you're trying to shortcut things because you hate waiting? To let go of the controls. May I challenge you to allow Jesus to have all of you so completely that your addictions lose their power? That the shortcuts that those addictions offer lose their hold on you? May I challenge you to shut out the voice of the enemy of your soul, the devil, when he offers you shortcuts? May I remind you that even in the waiting, the Spirit of God is planting eternity in us right here and now? And some of you have been waiting. You've been following the Jesus the best that you know how. You've been asking Him to move. You've been obeying His call to serve those around you in His name even when you don't see any results, even when you don't understand. Maybe you need to hear this today. Your waiting is sacred. It's holy. Jesus is in the waiting. He's close. And in the waiting, if you're faithful to Him, in the waiting, you are bearing fruit, even if you can't see it right now. For now, yes, we wait. Jesus did come. Emmanuel, God with us, He's here. He's with us. But what will be hasn't been fully revealed yet. Jesus is here though. And waiting with Him is a profoundly beautiful, sacred privilege. Would you stand? Let's pray. God, help us to be faithful in the waiting. Help us not to take the shortcuts that the enemy of our souls offers us. Thank You that You came to earth. That wait is done. And our redemption is now. It's here. It's available. We can be forgiven from sin and find new life. The old is gone. The new has come. But in the waiting for us to be fully revealed what we are going to be, help us to be faithful to You. Help us to listen to You. Help us to serve those around us in the name of Jesus. And God, if there's somebody here today who doesn't even know Jesus, doesn't have their sins forgiven, I pray that they would not wait for that. Because as that verse that we read says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And the eternity starts to come right now. And I pray that if there's anybody here today who does not know You, that they would cry out to You from their soul, from their heart right now, And just say, Jesus, please forgive my sin. I want to give You my life. I want to spend the rest of my life in that sacred weight. I want to know You. I want You to make me new. Thank You, Jesus, for what You're doing in us. Help us this year to be faithful to follow You. In Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you later. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.